When it comes to the word democracy, too often we tend to think about the word equality. That's right. If you look at what's happening in America today, not only people are being hopeful and positive regarding the direction of the country, and given the fact 2024, we are hoping the next leader is going to change the direction of where the country is heading. But meanwhile, how about this democracy related to the word religion in America? Based on the Constitution, we know that religion or the freedom of religion is well preserved and also well valued under this constitutional right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, in some countries, that's not really the case. For example, do you know that the Christians today in the nation of Nigeria are actually suffering tremendously because of the Christian presence? And also, how should we understand that、uh, men and women and children are constantly under the threat of this another type of extremists that because they have a Christian faith? And how should we put, put two and two together in order to understand the democracy, of course, the freedom of religion in the nation of Nigeria? So that's why in this episode we need to talk about not only regarding the current political state in the country of Nigeria, and also let's talk about why the Christians today are under this dramatic, or should we say, unexpected threat from these extremists, and also from some of the religious organizations as well. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to invite our distinguished speaker, who is Scott Morgan. Scott Morgan has been the president of Red Eagle Enterprises since its inception in November 2012. He uses his experiences from serving in the U.S. military to address various projects. Currently, Scott is based in Washington D.C. His firm specializes in U.S. policy towards Africa and focusing on security, religious liberty concerns south of Sahara. Well, brother, and welcome back to the Missing Piece. Thank you, my friend. And hopefully, this is another opportunity for us to fill that missing. Absolutely, Scott. Again, I have to say, as we mentioned before, too often when we think about the word democracy, again, in the sense of the United States of America, we think about social equality, we think about the constitutional rights. But for the nation of Nigeria, my first question right away is: How should we understand the ongoing conflict between the Christians? And the jihadists today within the nation, and also why the Christians today in the nation of Nigeria are facing much greater threat from the jihadists. Scott, walk us through the entire piece. And there's also a third question that should be asked: is how do the outside analysts get this conflict and defining it wrong?、Hmm. Because often, most people view this conflict. As between farmers and herders,、mm-hmm. which falls into the narrative that some people prefer for climate change,、mm-hmm. you know that's how they prefer to see this conflict. It's a dangerous narrative. It serves no one properly.、Mm-hmm. But a lot of this, a lot of Nigeria's issues, can be blamed on how the country was grown up. You know, most 
you know, Nigeria is split almost evenly between Muslims and Christians. The Muslims mm. were predominantly in the north, in the states where they still practice Sh Sharia law, mm. and the Christians were actually um, living in the south. In the, where the, the part of the country, which we call the Middle Belt, mm. where is where a lot of the uh, communal violence is taking place, which is sadly being drawn along ethnic line, lines now, I mean, and religious. You know, a lot, some of the violence is not just Muslims versus Christians. It's also, you have Muslim, you have one group of Muslims killing other Muslims because they don't like how, they don't agree with the purview of Islam that they prefer to be taught. Mm. So that is also another dynamic in this conflict. Neither has a way, you know, as you know, Islam has, has been spreading southward from the Sahara in Africa into areas in Central Africa, where due to colonialism, Christianity actually has a good, stable, stable base, for lack of a better term. And, what, and the conflict, what we're seeing in Nigeria, which is also played out to an extent in Sudan, and that could, and that's showing signs its ugly head again. Mm. Also seen also along the DRC Uganda border is you have people with one view of Islam seeking to impose what their view of Islam is over everything else. But now we go back to Nigeria and it's almost to the case some of this violence is actually political. Mm. You have certain leaders both civilian and in some cases in the military that are actually not only condoning but probably perpetrating the violence because we have heard anecdotal evidence of how Christian communities talking about how their villages were attacked and that the attackers came in via helicopter. But, you know, that particular data point rarely makes it into the international press coverage of these, of these atrocities that mm. take place. You know, Scott, it's interesting that, again, based on the article, I want to read something to you and also want to get your reaction on this. This is what the research in the article says, and I quote, By the local source, Fulani militant murdered more than 300 Christians, including two pastors, and destroyed 28 churches since mid-May in Nigeria. And the Islam extremists also displaced 30,000 Christians and destroyed 2,000 homes in the recent attacks. Now, we understand different type of religious extremists have different names and also different religious backgrounds. But for our audience and also our viewers, that needless to say, we are very less informed regarding what we called, or what the article mentioned, is called a Fulani militant. So again, Scott, walk us through how should we understand the background and also the complication of the Falami militant and also by displacing the Christians and also by destroying their homes in recent attacks, what kind of message did the Falami militant send to the Christian community today? What do you say to that, Scott? Okay, for, uh, okay first of all, for the benefit of our viewers and listeners, I'll describe the Fulani. The Fulani are a nomadic tribe 
who are known to roam the region of West Africa, literally from Senegal over to Sudan. Mm. They are known as herders, they're nomadic people, they have, they've been known to raise and raise cattle, which is how sometimes they're also referred to as pastoralists and, and others. Most the, the farmers come into conflict because most of the Christians who have been attacked are primarily small, you know, small-scale farmers. You know, very, very few heads of cattle, small garden plots, that type of thing. So that is how the simplification of the conflict can be made. But you're looking at the churches, and then I know I sent you the link, but recently there was a Catholic diocese. Mm. in Nigeria that has lost 13 parish Christians. That means, you know, the parishes and other ways saying church, I mean, buildings have been raised, like priests and the congregation have either been killed or driven away. And very, and stories like this rarely make it into the news, or if they do, they are actually, you know, poo-poo, just like it's not serious or they're being made them made up. Because I've actually heard from Nigerians and other activists who go over to Nigeria and when they interact with the U.S. Embassy in Nigeria and when they raise those, com com those concerns, they are met with disdain from the U.S. Embassy. By literally, they're being told you're making it up, or the U.S. Embassy wants proof of the incident occurred. Mm. You know, and I would hazard to say that it is not just the U.S. Embassy that does it. I would assume that other embassies are doing this as well. And then the question becomes: Why are they doing this? Why? And also, there's another thing about about why they could be doing this is also the timing. Remember. Nigeria just had a presidential transition recently. Mm. Former General Muhammadu Bahari is no longer president of the country. Ola Tinubu is now the president. So then you had then some other interesting questions come into lines. Are these are they recently the attacks that have been recently documented? Are they a parting shot at the outgoing President Tinubu? Mm. Or should I say were they? Is this their way of welcoming President Tinubu and telling him not to expect a change in the status quo and the situation within the country? Questions should that should be asked. Mm. Have they been? Are they being asked? I mean, besides this conversation, one would hope so. Mm. They should be. Am I optimistic that they are? Probably not. Mm. But as you know, um, regarding the U.S. role and potentially in this, there's legislation that has been introduced in the U.S. House of Representatives earlier this year called HRES 82, which will allow, which calls upon President Biden to appoint a special envoy to the Lake Chad Basin. So, if that position is law passes, position filled, could improve U.S. Uh, said, could improve U.S. dialogue with Nigeria, 
some of the detractors do do not believe that a special envoy is needed, and that partly due to the fact that they see no problems on the ground. Mm. You have to remember. There's one thing that people have to remember when it comes to their situation regarding the religious violations. 2020, you know, the bank, the Trump administration designated Nigeria to be a country of particular concern, CPC status, under the Frank Wolf International Religious Freedom. One of the first things that the Biden administration did, and this was done literally hours before Secretary of State Lincoln landed in Abuja, was they withdrew, the Biden administration withdrew this status. Mm. Most, advo- most advocates, both in Nigeria and in the United States, were dumbfounded and because they, they do not understand the rationale for this decision. Mm. There's a view that since this was an action taken by the Trump administration and the Biden, Biden and the Biden team came in with the plan of everything that Trump did had to be undone. If that is a metric that they used, that is one of the most worst decisions that the Biden administration has made regarding foreign policy. It is almost on the level of the debacle in Afghanistan when we, the U.S. withdrew. Well, because since that decision, there has been no improvement or reduction in violence against the Christians in Nigeria. Just yesterday, the family of Deborah Samuel, who was actually killed over praising Christ in a WhatsApp conversation, her family has not received any assistance from the Nigerian government. Her killers, who actually live-streamed the event via WhatsApp, have only been charged with causing a riot. And that, you know, that is some of the background that Christians face in Nigeria. And that the and for whatever reason, this administration in Washington has no problem with it. Well, Scott, I have to say, it's heartbreaking and also saddening to hear that how Christians today in Nigeria again, it's not just about the failure of the American foreign policy in Nigeria, but also you know for decades we champions this idea that America is supposed to provide protections and also provide this sustainability of religious freedom around the world. I mean, again, this is the concept that we uh, root for, and also this is a concept that we preserve for decades, even, even today, that despite the fact that American political atmosphere is standing at the crossroads, but internationally speaking, religious freedom shall be the number one issue or shall be the priority period now since you mentioned that this nation of nigeria just had this election i also want to read something to you and also i want to get your interpretation on this this is what the article says and i quote by targeting christians they i'd assume the extremists or jihadists targeting christians 
and they seek to promulgate the falsehood that the democratic elected Nigerian government does not care to protect them. Now, Scott, can you elaborate on this point a little bit more? I mean, we know that, again, we understand this political system in the nation of Nigeria can be rather complicated. And also, we, as you mentioned before, the Christians and the Muslims could possibly coexist at the same time. But right now, when it comes to the role of the government, some believe that this government does not care, or the current governmental system does not care or value the presence of the Christians. How much would you agree with it? And how would you help us with in-depth understanding with such statement? Go ahead, Scott. Oh, that is a great question because actually if you look at how certain state governors in Nigeria operate, you know, because actually it says it reveals a problem because the northern states in Nigeria, they actually practice Sharia law. Mm. And the southern states do not. So basically Nigeria has a two-tiered legal system. Which, you know, which lead, that leads to issues because, you know, you know, the, and the federal government has been reluctant to intervene in certain, certain capital punishment cases. I raised the point of Yaha, Yaya Sharif Amino, who is a young rapper who has been sentenced to death over the lyrics. Mm. I would be remiss in not mentioning this case, but. Yeah, you know, the Nigerian government, what have they done? The military has often responded late to attacks, but whenever there are operations where they claim success in eradicating their enemy, and if you notice, sometimes they even choose some of the language that they use differently. You know, sometimes, you know, they'll differentiate between bad, you know, people who kidnap or often are known as bandits, but yet, and then they'll, the, the Fulani often are called pastoralists. So mm. they've learned, like, you know, they, they've learned the language and tactic of defining your enemy quite well. And more often than not, in several cases, we have seen the Christians have actually have been accused of inciting violence against them. What, so they're trying to say whatever happens to the Christians is the Christians' own fault. Mm, I see that. It's an easy narrative to say. You know, some people and the other observers, they can go in and they do their assessments and they'll say, yes, we can see that. But going back to the U.S., whatever the U.S. says or does regarding Nigeria, I take with a grain of salt. Mm. Because anybody who goes goes to Nigeria that is part of the U.S. government, whether it's a good congressional delegation, researchers for State Department and others, they're not allowed to leave the embassy. Whoever they have to, whoever they're going to interview for their report actually has to go to the embassy in Abuja to meet them. So they do not get to see anything firsthand. They do not get to see, you know, the damaged buildings or whatever in the villages are. So basically, they're just deliberately fed information that may be specifically designed for that purpose. And 
And that is a inner, you know, that's a classic propaganda tactic. You know, we all remember back in the days of the of the Soviet Union of Potemkin villages. It's almost like some things are actually coordinated and done such a way to keep the U.S. and others' interests to make sure that the Nigerian government actually gets the gets the help that they need, but that often does not make it down to the state level where some of the issues actually are are dealt with. Hmm. But then, and then you just have, um, and then you have the Christian population, and they're wondering, besides prayer, how can they actually address the situation? They know that the government does not take their situation seriously. They have been, you know, they, you know, the attacks of, you know, they could be attacked, and then it's like, oh, you, and then they're told you brought this on yourself, and it's like. And they're, and they're like, I did nothing. I, all I've been doing here is sitting here tending my fires. And then these guys come and attack my religion. It's my fault. It's all, it almost wonders that you, know, you almost get, can see whether or not you know, certain people within the Nigerian security apparatus are actually orchestrating this for personal benefit. Mm. You know, you have to actually wonder that considering how. Sometimes, you know, the attacks will actually take place and then the security forces don't show up for hours. Hmm. I see that. Scott, I got two more questions before letting you go. According to a 2010 Pew Research poll that found 49% of Nigerian Muslims express favorable views towards Al-Qaeda. How should we understand the number today? Again, we understand, meanwhile, $1.1 million in ransom has been paid by Christians in this nation to secure release of the captives. Again, one number is 49% of the Nigerian Muslims have the favor of view towards Al-Qaeda. But meanwhile, $1.1 million in ransom has been paid by Christians to secure the release of the captives, Scott, two numbers. What do you make of that? You know, it, you know, it's almost like, you know, in some ways, it's looking like Colombia. You know, for easy source of revenues to kidnap somebody and extract their ransom. Mm. The Al Qaeda question. I will tell you something that several congressional staffers have told me here in Washington. That is, is that the reason why they probably have that high number of support for Al-Qaeda is that some of the imams that are actually going back into Nigeria are not trained locally in the regional West Africa. They're coming from the Gulf states. Mm. That itself should tell people something. Mm. Well, I mean, again, Scott, it's, it's rather complicated to explain the relationship between the jihadist and the Christians in Musa, in Nigeria today. Now, I want to wrap up our conversation by asking you a very simple question. This is something that you mentioned over and over again. What is the role of the U.S. today when we talk about such situation in Nigeria? Because we would love to protect the religions of freedom, but meanwhile, 
we can't stand and we can't bear the Christians are actually suffering today in this country because it's not just about paying the money, it's not just about getting the release from the captives, but it's really about how to wake up the government to understand that the jihadist or the Fulani militant cannot or no longer shoot post threat to the Christian community. So how could U.S. put greater effort in order to make the point m much clearer? What do you say to that, Scott? Unlike some people, we have to, you know, we have to interact more with the Nigerians, not just with the federal government in Abuja. You know, we there are U.S. consulates in several other cities in Nigeria, like Lagos, Port Harcourt, and Kano. So we actually going having the U.S. personnel going to these cities and and gathering information will be a benefit. Um, there's always Nigerian delegations coming to the U.S. and seeking redress. Because reached a couple of weeks ago regarding HRS 82, they actually have had a hearing on it about moving that piece of legislation forward mm. in the House of Representatives. And that is a good thing. Um, a lot of people will actually will actually urge boycotts. Boycotts are often counterproductive because, mm. granted, you may not like how they're doing things, but if you just walk away from them while they're doing something and you're just you're giving them de facto control over an area or or the conversation. So most ways, but even though boycotts are easier to do, and always. And is and it's Nigeria is not going to be the only issue because we're seeing a lot of issues regarding India and mm. India's Indian Prime Minister Modi is in Washington this week. That's right. And they're having one of the, there are some groups that were promoting the rights Christians in India that wanted the U.S. to rescind the invitation for Prime Minister Modi to come here. That would be counterproductive. Mm. Because if he's here and you don't want to talk, you're really concerned about this issue, but you don't want to talk to him, you're shooting yourself in the foot. But as for as Nigeria, I think there's a sense that the U.S. is going to give a, give uh, President Chinubu a grace period. You know, they've had the, you know, you know, their early days of the transition. You know, they're going to the sense is that they're going to give President Chinubu a chance. To come up with new security strategies. I mean, there are, there are now new leadership with, within the Nigerian military. So that you know, the chain, you know, having uh, as the old saying goes, a new broom sweeps cleaner. Mm. So we shall see how it goes forward. And then when the State Department comes out later this some this year with their recommendations on whether or not. Countries that'll be a place on as a designated as a country of particular concern or placed on a special watch list under IRFA. We shall see what the State Department views, and and then that, and then we'll, and it'll have to be determined whether or not what the net from that point out what the next steps will be, because naming and shaming can only go so far, and and right now with you know the process in Nigeria, you know the perpetrators are being named, but it's but instead of being shamed, they're being glorified. That's right, Scott. Meanwhile, while we're waiting for the response from the state uh, uh, government and also waiting for, you know, the uh, response from the U.S., but let's keep on 
uh, praying for this country. And also we believe that our brothers, sisters, that in Christ, again, no matter what happens, stay strong. You know, we know that in the Bible that God never promises that the followers or sons and daughters will always have the good, a good time. You know, there will be hardship or obstacles. But meanwhile, we need to keep them in prayer and be encouraged and also believe that everything is going to be okay. Well, again, ladies and gentlemen, it's my honor to speak to Scott Morgan. Scott has been the president of Red Eagle Enterprises, and since its inception in November 2012, he uses his experiences from serving the U.S. military to address various projects, and he's currently based in Washington, D.C. Well, Scott, it's been a pleasure speaking to you, and thank you so much for helping us with, with better understanding about the situation in Nigeria. Let's keep in touch, brother, because we love to have you back on the show as we continue to follow and also pay attention to those Christians and also to those fairs among the countries in Africa. So thank you so much for doing this. 